0: Awesome. Again, my name is Will, I serve as lead pastor, church Planner at Lee Community Church. Um, First Alliance Church, for those of you who don't know, is our mother church. Amen? Yeah. Amen. We're so grateful uh, for the support and how you've adopted us and loved on my family and loved on our church. Um, those of you that showed up and supported uh, in so many ways, we are grateful. We are so grateful. Pastor Kurt, uh, we are grateful for the invitation um, to share the word this morning. Uh, Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. That is the very first core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, uh, that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. And I remember the very first time I I felt God's heart for lost people. The, The very first time that I felt the same way God felt about lost people, I was about 13 years ago and I was studying God's word and I I got to the part where Jesus was talking about how, how he left the 99, would leave the 99 and go after the one. And the Holy Spirit asked me to do something in that moment. And I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about Those who you love the most, separated from God in a Christless eternity in hell. Sit there with that. If you felt anything like I felt, the words was indescribable. And the Holy Spirit said to me, son, that's how I feel about the world. That's how he feels about the world. What you felt when you think about those who you love leaving this planet to be separated from God in a Christless eternity, which is a place called hell. It is a very real place. That's why lost people matter to God, because he don't want them to go to a place they weren't created for. they would literally be crashing the party because he does not want that to be their end. And so that season in my life began my journey of church planting because I could no longer justify driving 30 minutes across town stepping over spiritually dead people week after week to go sit under my pastor and get fed to get spiritually fed while there are people all around me spiritually starving. And here I am, I know how to feed myself and can feed others, but I still choose to allow somebody else to feed me. I could no longer justify that. I could no longer leave my house and knowing that people all around me are not hearing the gospel. Their their parking lots are filled on a Sunday. Listen, just leave here and go to the shopping mall and see how many cars are in the parking lot. Just leave here and go to Kroger's during this hour and see how many people are just going about their life as if the Lord is not gonna return. When he returns, we will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage when he cracks the sky. We'll be in Kroger's, we'll be in Sam's Club, we'll be at Audi's, we'll be at the soccer camp, we'll be at the kids' games. And so I don't want you to justify knowing that people all around you have not heard the gospel, or if they heard it, they didn't hear it in a way that they could relate to it. And so they need to hear your story. That's what I want to talk about uh, uh, today. I want to talk about how to tell your story, the story of what Jesus did and how you met him, that you have a story to tell, that God has tailor-made a story out of your life for you to tell it to some people so that they will respond to who he is and respond in faith, repentance and obedience. So, the point or the heartbeat, uh, uh, what I want you uh, uh, to take home is this, this one strong point is this. Your story is meant to help people meet Jesus. Your story, my story, is meant to help people meet Jesus. Jesus and the Apostle Paul in Acts 22 verses 1 through 16 uh, provides something of an outline or a template on how to best tell your story so that people can meet Jesus. And the context uh, uh, is is pretty much, Paul just came back off an amazing missionary trip. He connected with some churches along the way, um, fellowship with some saints along the way, had a couple boat rides and trip trips. Um, got some prophetic words that say, hey, man, when you get to Jerusalem, uh, it's going to be difficult for you. And Paul was uh, 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 stone-faced, face set like Flint, to say, no, I'm willing to die for my Savior. And he gets to Jerusalem, and he gives the praise report to the church at Jerusalem, the, 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 some of the apostles. And he says, man, the Gentiles are responding to this message. They're responding to the message of the gospel. And they begin to celebrate and get excited. And then they dropped a bomb on Paul They said, Paul, you got some enemies while you've been gone. Uh, you, 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 you developed some haters. And these haters are accusing you of blasphemy and of heresy. They're saying that you're telling people to disrespect the law of Moses and don't circumcise their kids. You're telling people that the law of Moses is no good and that it is not necessary. And the reality is that Paul was telling people the law is good, but it's not good enough to save you. Amen. That, that the law in itself, it is good, but the law alone cannot save you. It is only Christ alone that can save you. And that was the message Paul was communicating. So, so they came up with a plan. They say, Paul, now that you're back in town, you're back in Jerusalem, they come up with this plan. And the plan was this. Uh, we want you to go uh, into the public square and, and, and do sacrifices with the guys you came with. And that way they'll see you down, you okay, you're in agreement with the law of Moses, and they'll leave you alone. They're like, oh, he's all right. He's all right. Yeah, he's, he's offering sacrifices. He, he's okay. But it backfired. It backfired on Paul. As a matter of fact, uh, when Paul showed up, some of his haters was in the crowd. And they begin to stir up a riot and a mob, a flash mob, begin to take place, and they run after Paul and to attack him and to drag him out to even be, to be beat to death or stoned to death. And in the middle of all of this, the Roman uh, soldiers show up uh, to break up this uh, raging crowd, this angry mob, and they chain Paul, probably hand and foot to take him away to sort out what was happening. And as they took Paul away, Paul turns to this Roman soldier and in his Greek language, the same language that the Roman soldier speaks, he says, hey, give me an opportunity to talk to the crowd. This is interesting because even in the face of opposition, even in the face of danger, he still sees an opportunity. To be a witness for Christ. Listen, you talk about somebody who had a a reason to be afraid to share their faith. We just don't like people to tell us no. We just don't like to be rejected. This man's life was on the line. And yet, he still asked for the opportunity and he got it. And he got it. And so what you'll see in the text is this, Um, the way Paul addresses this crowd is amazing. And it's gonna give a template for us. The first thing Paul did is he found common ground. He found common ground. He addresses this crowd like this. He says, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense when they heard him speaking in their own language the silence was even greater paul finds common ground with his listeners by being respectful and relatable brothers and fathers he used terms of respect real similar to what what uh, stephen said and what paul is doing he addresses them as brothers and fathers this phrase is is paul trying to identify with his listeners as fellow jews and elders that he respect listen listen finding common ground with unbelievers begins with this identifying with them on a human level finding common ground with unbelievers it starts with you and them finding common ground on the human level on a human level in other words be human before you try to help be human before you try to be heard. Notice, notice his, his, how his conversation began. It began with respect. He didn't say, listen up, you angry God-hating murderers. It's true, but that wasn't his approach. In other words, how we talk to people matters. Listen, it doesn't matter how true we are, how biblically accurate we are, how wise we are, how sound we are, how helpful we think we may be, how life-changing or beneficial uh, 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 that what we have to say may be. Listen, it will be rejected if they feel disrespected. We can't come in, folks, watch this, with, 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 with just all about their sin. All about their struggle. You know, you know, you know, if you keep smoking that weed, you know, you know, if you, 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 know, if you, keep, you keep doing this and you keep doing that, you know, that that's not going to do good for you. He didn't come that way. He said, listen, we're human and I want you to know I identify with you and I respect you as kinsmen, as kinsmen. He wasn't condescending and he wasn't condemning. He didn't talk down to them. Listen, you, 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 you and you. All of you guys are going to hell right now. He didn't do that. He said, brothers and fathers. Watch this. He was relatable. He spoke in the language that his listeners could understand. The text said he spoke in Aramaic. It says in verse 2, when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. I love this. Paul communicated in a way that they could relate to. In other words, he spoke in a way that they can understand and when building relationships with unbelievers, we must be relatable. We got to be relatable. If we're going to find common ground with them, we have to be uh, uh, relatable. And as you are around unbelievers at work, at school, at sports outing, at family gatherings or in your community, listen, we have to speak the same language. What what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, In other words, many of them don't understand Bible. Right? So, so use everyday language when you're talking to them. It, it, for example, today, if you happen to be watching the Super Bowl in a non-Christian environment, and somebody says, uh, man, I'm so upset uh, that my team lost, D- don't say, well, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, or for example, maybe you're, at the, you're out shopping and you see uh, one of your neighbors. And they say, hey, how are the kids doing? You say, well, you know, the Bible says, suffer not the children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. You better say, these kids is driving me crazy. <laughs> and you know what they're going to say? Oh, you too? You too? You feel like I feel? You struggle how I struggle? You can relate? In my early 20s, uh, and I'm telling you these examples because I've been there. In my early 20s, my nickname was Scripture Verbatim Man. <laughs> That's what they called me. All my peers at the church I used to go to, I mean, they would call, even the preachers would call me and say, Where's that verse said? I was like a concordance for them jokes. They were too lazy to look it up, they just called me. And one day, one of the guys from the church invited me over, and he asked me an honest question. He says, Will, do you speak anything other than Bible? What he was asking me was, Will, are you relatable? I know you love God. I know you care about the loss. I know you love God's word. I know you love people, but will you need to be relatable? Hear me. It's good all that you know and all that you've gathered over the years, but are you relatable? We must be relatable when it comes to sharing our story. And so Paul has found common ground by being respectful and relatable, and now a door has opened up for him to tell the story. Because he was respectful and relatable, now a door has opened up for him to communicate to this mob. And he, he tells the story uh, by beginning with his life before Christ. In the first five verses, Paul says, hey, I was born a Jew, born in Tarsus. For the sake of time, I won't read it all. He says, I was educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I was zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. In other words, Paul is addressing the crowd of self-righteous Jewish unbelievers who thought they were good enough. By accepting, uh, thought they were good enough by obeying the law. And so what, what Paul does is this. It's very strategic. He says, he's, no, he's talking to an audience of people who think they're good enough to be accepted by God by obeying the law. And Paul goes on to say, well, let me tell you how good I was. Very important. It's going to make sense in a miss, minute. Paul is telling them, if anyone had bragging rights on zeal for God and keeping the law is me. In other words, if anybody was a moral perfectionist who strived to be accepted by God based on what they did, it was me. This is what he's saying. He says, I was raised this way. I was trained this way, just like all of you. And watch this. Here it is. For some of you, your story begins not with how bad you were, but how good you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe for you, it's not how bad you were, but it was how good you were. One of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to keep you from telling your story because you feel like, I don't have a testimony. I don't have nothing worth sharing. I, 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 I wasn't all that bad. I, 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 I don't have anything to share. I, I wasn't on drugs. I, I didn't become an alcoholic. I didn't go to prison. I, I don't have some tragedy to triumph story or some mess that God can turn into a message. That's not my story. And you feel like you don't have anything worth sharing because you didn't make some of the bad decisions that the people around you made. Maybe you grew up in a time in America uh, when it still had a measure of Christian influence and morality uh, and perversion wasn't as accessible. We, you know that time when, when you would watch a TV and would show husband and wife in the same room in separate beds. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Uh, uh, uh. Maybe parents, you had parents that taught you right from wrong, not to steal, not to lie. There was still prayer in the schools. Listen, you could leave the door unlocked. You could, if you did something wrong, the neighbors had permission to discipline you. All right? Hmm? Paddling was still in school. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, you went to Christian schools, you went to church, and you tried to live a good moral life. And you made good decisions, some of which your friends did not make. And people told you, man, you you got it going on. You're a pretty good person. And as a result, you prided yourself in being this good, moral individual. Maybe that's your story. Not how bad you was, but on how good you thought you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe at some point this led you to believe that God would accept you if you was just good enough. If I don't mess up, if I don't blow it, if, if, if I'm good enough and do good things for God, he'll let me into his family. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your testimony. But one day, like Paul, you said, I've considered all these things as not valuable. I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Listen, the person that prides themselves on being a good person or thinking that God should let them in uh, to his family, they don't need to hear how bad I was story. Yeah, they don't need, what what, what they need, they need to hear, watch this, uh, let me tell you the story about how good I thought I was. Let me tell you how I didn't smoke. Let me tell you how I didn't drink. Let me tell you how I went to church. (laughs) Let me tell you how I played the part. That's the testimony they need to hear. Because if you tell them, you can, with the how bad I am story, they're just going to say, you know, the hidden rules of middle class. You just need to work harder. It's the same mindset. You, you, just, you just make bad decisions. You, you should have did something different. I can't relate to that. I don't, you don't have anything that I want. They need to hear from the person that is saying, listen, I had it all together. At least I thought I did. Maybe you came to faith at an early age like I did. You feel like you don't have a testimony. I came to faith at eight years old. I was I saved, was safe. safe had a burden for my neighbors, I would come home crying because they believed something different. Maybe maybe that's your testimony. And and, and what I've learned to do uh, uh, is, is this, is I'll often share about my journey to maturity as I talk about life before, life before my spiritual maturity took place. And highlight the grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and patience of God. And so what I want us to see is this, is that even though Paul's persecution of the church was a righteous act in his mind before he accepted Christ, listen, it was still murder. So for some of us, the story may begin, this is how good I was. For others, you need to tell the truth. This is how bad I really was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, there are people around you who are still unbelievers. Here it is, because they don't believe God would ever forgive them for the things they did and for the way they lived. First Timothy uh, 1.14 says this, this is Paul speaking. He says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as his prime example of his great patience with even the worst, uh, with, with even the worst sinners then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that your story is designed to be a billboard of God's grace and give hope to somebody else. That's what your life is to be, a billboard of God's grace so that when people go past your life, they see the grace of God and they think, man, it must be a shot for me. There must be a chance for me one of the reasons people leave the community of faith is this because they can't relate to the people that's there they can't relate they said man they're all perfect therefore i don't belong and they leave as a matter of fact statistics show uh, especially among uh, millennials and gen z's is this is that transparency authenticity authenticity and community is a high value for them and where that is lacking they are leaving They want people to keep it real. We got droves of of our young folks who grew up in the church, but because the leadership didn't keep it real about struggles, they left. Because they said, "I I can't keep up. I got stuff going on. At 23 years old, that's what happened to me. On fire for God. Love the Lord. But as a young man, I had some struggles and I needed somebody to tell me, can, can God help me through these things? And you know what they told me? I don't deal with that. I don't, I don't really struggle with that. I, or, 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 or so disconnected, well, you know, just a prayer a day, keep the devil away. And I said, man, God, I love you, but I can't relate to these people. I can't relate. And so when you tell your story, tell them what life was really like before, before Christ. Here's the second thing. Tell the story of how you met Jesus. Paul tells the story about the Damascus Road. We read some of it earlier. But what he talks about is that he was headed uh, uh, to go persecute Christians and have them arrested. And on his way to persecute Christians and have them arrested, he runs into Jesus. And he describes the story as a light that shone from heaven that blinded him. And made it where he fell to the ground and he couldn't see. And the voice spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. I want you to get up and I'll give you further instructions. That's the paraphrase. But what you have to understand about this particular account of Paul's testimony, the emphasis is on this light. This light. Why? Because that light uh, uh, is is, uh, a picture of the Shekinah glory of God. That light is in reference to the Shekinah glory of God. He knows he's talking to a Jewish audience. And what he's telling them is this, that Shekinah simply means this. It means the personal presence of God. And what he's saying is, on this road, I met, I experienced the personal presence of God in the person of Christ. That's what he's telling them. In other words, here's his point. He wants them to know that he met met a person, not a religion. Yeah, yeah. He met a person, not a set of rules or rituals. He met a person, not a to-do list. Watch this. He met a person, not a place. Here's what we got to remember when telling our story. We got to make sure we remind them, listen, I met a person i have a relationship with a real person because if we don't all they'll think is that we are just uh, uh some type of uh, uh not what is it uh health and well-being 10 steps to a healthy life oh this is just a self-help program that's what church is oh yeah yeah yes that's all that is yeah i got that i can get that on uh youtube i got a subscription to a guy and he's a, a motivational speaker and so yeah i can get that there and i like that because i can watch that anytime. But if we tell them, no, we met a person, I met a person, not a program, not a religion, not rituals, not a place, but a person. And that is what we are called to do, to tell people that we have met a person, amen. This is important because years ago, how many remember evangelism explosion when that was a thing, (laughs) right? We signed up for it. I'm like, okay, we're gonna go door to door. And and, you know, they asked this jarring question, right? Uh, If you was to die today, where would you go? And if heaven, why would God let you in? Right, that's one way to start your Saturday morning, at least that's where we went. We went on Saturday mornings, right? And the answers we would get was amazing. Some of the answers we would get was like, well, you let me in because I'm Baptist. (laughs) All Baptists go to heaven. No, take that off, take that rich down. Uh, Because my grandfather was a pastor, because I was raised in church. I've been a Christian since, uh, since the womb, because I was baptized, because I went to youth group. That's why he would let me in. In other words, these folks were introduced to a religion, a program, rituals, instead of a relationship with God himself in the person of Christ. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. And listen, it's okay to invite the lost to church, to small groups, uh, to church functions. But watch this. Make it a priority to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Because if you don't, they will think following Jesus is all about the stuff we do instead of the Savior we know. That's what they'll think. If all you do is invite people to stuff, they're going to be like, oh, that's what Christians do. They go to stuff have no concept of a real relationship with the living God. Mm. That's what they'll think if all we do is invite them to our events. Listen, I challenge you to go to theirs. One of the most moving things I've ever experienced in my life is when uh, God gave me that thought to think about those close to me separated. I had a neighbor named Mo. Now, I could invite Mo to drive 30 minutes across town to go to my church, where uh, where, where I was going at the time, right? But it dawned on me, man, Jesus said we should go to them. And so I said, hey, Mo, uh, at your next cookout, I'm going to bring some friends over, and we're going to barbecue, we're going to play cards. And that's exactly what they did. They played their music with all the foul language and profanity, all of that was in that. And here me and my Christian brothers was there playing cards. Listen, being human, the kingdom of God is like yeast that worked all through the dough. Yeah, yeah, the kingdom of God works through the dough of the messiness of people's lives, and it expands. And so if all we're doing is throwing the gospel across the room, hoping that they catch it, We'll never build relationships that sustain the weight of the gospel. If all we do is play catch with the gospel. Throw it across the room because I don't want to I don't want to get dirty. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus didn't earn the title friend of sinners by being in the synagogue all day. How do you earn that reputation? How do you earn the reputation of being an alcoholic and an overeater? That's what they accuse him of. Because of who he was with. Because of who he was with. And so, evangelism is not telling the good news. Uh, uh, the evangelism is telling the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and his kingdom. That is already here and not yet. Evangelism is not telling them about all the great stuff we got going on as a church. We are called to tell them about a person. And when we tell them about a person, we can then invite them to meet him also. Here's the third thing, and and I'm done. Finally, tell the story of how Jesus is changing your life. He says in verse 17, he says, man, I returned to Jerusalem. I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But, I, but the Lord, uh, I argue, they certainly know that in every synagogue, I'm in, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. His conversion was so radical that people said, that's no way you could have been changed like that. How do you go from killing Christians to spreading the good news about Jesus? They weren't convinced. And so Paul, Paul is like, okay, well, well, I can't go to any synagogues. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. I got some people for you. Listen, 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 listen. Tell your story. To telling your story is to tell what Jesus has done for you, in you, and through you, wherever and to whoever he sends you. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. He had to leave Jerusalem. Why? Because his assignment was to the Gentiles. Listen, your story has an assignment. There are some those that God has put around you that your story will unlock them and allow them into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. Now I know we use that for a whole bunch of stuff, but the context is about Jesus building his church. And the keys is entrance into his kingdom. And what he's saying is take your keys out your pocket and allow people into the kingdom of God. Because if you don't proclaim the gospel, which is the key to the kingdom, guess who's not getting in? You and I have the keys. He's given it to us to partner with him. And when we proclaim the good news, we give people an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I love what Jesus said. He says, I already ripped the gates off. You need to go tell people they're free. Yeah, yeah, I already ripped the gates. The gates of hell is ripped off. It will not prevail. So what I need you to do is tell them to come out. All your story is is telling them to come out you can do that. He wants you to know you can do that today. So here's three things I wanna leave you with. You can write them down, I don't know if you have notes. It's just three practical ways. Um, Three things really you need to give yourself to. Watch this, if you're gonna allow your story to be used to help people meet Jesus. Just three brief things you wanna give yourself to that I found extremely helpful for me. Give yourself to the ministry of prayer. You have to pray for lost people by name. It's good to say God save everybody, save the world, but 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 you need to pray for people by name. Pray for those in your circle of influence. Dr. Howard Hendricks, years ago challenged uh, 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 many years ago, and even the, the message I heard may have been even longer than that. And he challenged his elders to pray for those mission impossibles in their lives. He said, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to pray for those who seem so far from God, it would take a miracle for God to reach them. And after six months of them praying, every week, 70% of the individuals on the list came to faith. And Dr. Howard Hendricks says this. He says, "Where prayer focuses, God's power will fall." Amen. You gotta be a you gotta use it like a magnifying glass on your nephew, on your niece, on your neighbor, on your grandson, on your sons, on your daughters, on your coworkers, on your on your supervisors. You got to use it like a magnifying glass. Amen. And God says, "Where prayer focuses, my power will fall." Because now you're partnering with him on his mission to seek and to save the lost. Give yourself to the ministry of praying for the lost. Here's the second thing you want to jot down. Give yourself to the ministry of presence. In other words, spend time with lost people. Spend time with lost people's Right, right? Build relationships that sustain the weight of the gospel. Find ways to connect with the lost. Listen, that are, that's already a part of your daily rhythms and routines in life. Right? Go to the same store clerk. Sit, make sure you ask for the same waitress. Go to the same hairdresser. Invite that person with you all the time when you go do X, Y, and Z. Invite people into the rhythms of your life so that you can build relationships that sustains the weight of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is a heavy, weighty message and a relationship is the only thing strong enough to hold it when you ask them to come and die so that you might live. And finally, the ministry of proclamation. Give yourself to telling the story of what Jesus did and your story of how you met him personally. Here's the story of Jesus, that God in Christ came to pay the penalty for all the wrong we have done to God and to each other by dying in our place, raising from the dead to give all who believe a new life with God. That's what, that's the story of what he's done. And then you tell when that story in your life intersected. And so my challenge, it's for you this week. I want you to write down your story. What, before Christ, how you met him and what he's doing. And if you don't like to write, record yourself saying it so that you can hear it. That's my challenge for you this week. And then plan to put those principles into practice. Ministry of prayer, presence, and proclamation and tell somebody your story. As a matter of fact, there's some people ready right now. The harvest is always plentiful. It's always plentiful. It's always ripe. It's not that we're waiting for it to get ripe. It's just we need laborers, reapers, to go out and go bring the lamb his reward. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for calling us to yourself, for meeting us all on our individual Damascus roads. We're so grateful, God, that you met us. Listen, Lord, you met us, and you showed mercy and grace. We could have dropped dead right where we stood, but you came with mercy and grace and love. And so, God, I pray that our stories of redemption and conversion and salvation would move us to share these stories with others. Because, Lord, now who else is going to tell us? Nobody's telling people this stuff. If we don't do it, there is no plan B. And so God, now we ask for Acts 1-8 power to fall upon the hearts that have submitted and surrendered to your word today. That now you would empower them to do what their heart and mind is to challenge them to do. Holy Spirit of God, come, equip, empower your people to deliver Your message, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.